Welcome to Clarity Connects, where we talk about the human essence in brands, from branding, marketing, and business. I am your host, Tusef Mirza. Fundamentally, brands are created by human beings and for human beings. So understanding human attributes and having clarity on what genuinely connects with people is crucial. On this podcast, we will cover topics ranging from personal branding, corporate branding, leadership, team building, and marketing, all from a human perspective. We will also give ourselves the space for contemplation and explore ways to gain profitability while doing good simultaneously. Thank you for joining me. And now let's explore how Clarity connects for creating true impact. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Clarity Connects podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have on the show one of the most renowned branding experts and a person that holds a special place in my heart, Patrick Hanlon. Patrick is the author of the momentous book, Primal Branding, and through his company, also called Primal Branding, Patrick uncovers the root code for building authentic brands and organizations, such as American Express, Levi's, and United Nations. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. Very excited about this. So today, uh, we're going to be talking about branding really, truly from a human and a visceral lens. Um, we'll also be examining the pivotal 2020 year with all of its pandemic and racial injustice and the U.S. election. Um, but really looking at it more from a comprehensive perspective, looking at brands, marketing, customer, and culture, because all of these things are really connected at the end of the day. Um, a lot of people talk about them in silos, but they are actually really connected. And Patrick is such a wonderful critical thinker that is able to intertwine all these aspects together and bring insights and meaning to them. It was almost about four years ago that I discovered uh, Patrick's book, Primal Branding. And it really blew me away because it really showed me the depth of what branding can be. And it showed the foundation elements of emotion and human nature. And also the fact that branding at the core is, is the functionality that helps to connect with people. So thank you so much, Patrick, for your guidance and that awesome book. Thank you. When you look at brands as belief systems, uh, you attract others who share your beliefs. And that's basically the fundamental core of the, of the thinking, of the concept. And we belong to so many communities as human beings. You know, you're, you're a daughter, you play chess, you uh, belong to a book club. We all belong to different communities, and we don't think of them as being communities. But if you go to, you know, Starbucks or La Colombe every morning, there's a whole community of people there, familiar faces, and you feel... Uh, welcomed and you feel comfortable there. If you really deconstruct the just ordinary life, you realize that we um, belong to lots of different communities. We have a lot of different belief systems that we embrace. Those are the elements that help to build brands. So what do you consider as the definition of branding? Um, branding 
it's kind of an odd word. <laughs> it's a much malingered word. It's probably the wrong word. We should probably come up with something else. But, you know, brands are not necessarily, you know, the Nikes. Uh, well, they can be the Nikes of the world. Uh, but they are also, um, whatever communities you belong to, those are also brands in the sense that they're people drawn together toward the same common beliefs. There's uh, seven things, a creation story, creed, icons, rituals, um, a lexicon, a non-believers and a leader. And once you have all seven of those things, which all powerful brands do, um, you create something that pings both our rational and the emotional parts of our brains that help things to make sense. And if you make more sense than the person standing next to you or the product next to you, then you win. That's one thing that really captivated me in the book was the way that you were able to really bring a concrete infrastructure to something that's really abstract, like branding, and really bring seven pieces of primal code and really break all of them down from uh, the creation story to creed, icons, ritual, sacred words or lexicon, non-believers and leaders. And by by giving sort of like all these different touch points, it really helps brands to understand the fullness of how they can define themselves and connect with people, which I think most people don't realize the full scope of what branding can be. There's one excerpt that I really love in your book, and it says, believing is belonging. When you are able to create brands that people believe in, you also create groups of people who feel that they belong. This sense of community is at the center of psychologist Abraham Maslow's famous hierarchy of human needs. Whether you belong to a Maasai tribe, you're a New Yorker, whether you're a computer geek, a biker, it is an essential human truth that we all want to belong to something that is larger than ourselves. That community can surround a product or service, a personality, a social or political cause, or a civic community. I think there's so much um, specificity, density, but also the interconnections that you're able to make there in terms of our visceral human nature and how our, our need to belong and how that's connected to community and that community is a way to access a greater idea or brand. So our process really is to deconstruct um, whatever we're working on uh, into those seven pieces of code, and then we build it back together again. So let's let's just look at a, a couple of these so that the listeners understand the the pieces of code. So I chose the icon, and the reason why I chose the icon is that a lot of times people feel that branding is is a logo, and that it stops there, um, but. When you talk about icons, there's just so many different ways that you can represent um, a product, service, or an idea. You know, yeah, exactly. The, you're right, absolutely right. The uh, When people think about branding, they think about uh, the logo on the website. Most people, when they think about redoing their branding, they do redo the logo on the website, but actually... Uh, the icons are just one part of it. And icons are very special because they are, many of them are hardwired to our brains. You know, they touch all the senses. So sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, 
Is that all of them? <laughs> it's Monday morning. <laughs> um, but the we don't think of those when we're thinking about our brand necessarily, but the sense of taste is critical if you're if you have a product I mean, a, a consumable product food food product and it's uh touch is um also essential if you are dealing with um fashion for example you know and um uh you know how does the fabric feel and the difference between silk and denim and so we try to think of all these things, all, all of the senses, and some of them may not apply, obviously, but the, um, it's hard to uh, put scent through in the, on a website. But, <laughs> but when you walk into a real life situation, you know, scent, which was really ignored, unless you were a bakery or a Chinese restaurant, uh, was really ignored uh, until, you know, a decade ago, hotels and everyone started putting scent in their lobbies and uh, made it more of an experience. And Abercrombie & Fitch was, you know, 20 years ago, was blasting their uh, scent out on the streets in, in uh, you know, on Fifth Avenue, right? And then the sense of sound, I remember you, you've you said this example, is it's like the, the Apple computer, the bong at yeah. the beginning. And until I read that, um, I didn't realize how, I've unconsciously associated that. So I think that's also what's interesting with branding is we don't necessarily consciously make those connections, but when those icons appear, we have an automatic signal that connects those two together. The second code that I find really interesting is uh, the non-believers. It's interesting because a lot of times we don't really talk about the non-believers. We just talk about the believers, the people that we want to convert, that we want them to buy more. Um, And I think it was really refreshing to see. It's okay to say these are the people we we want to connect with. And actually, these are the people that we we do not and that it's okay to segment it in a very clear way. I think this is also coming up more to a front in 2020 where brands are taking a stand and they're saying, we believe in this versus something else, right? It was revelatory actually to realize that because, you know, my background, I worked in advertising and advertising, we go, uh, you know, the conceit in marketing, traditional marketing is that, um, everyone is going to love us because look how great this new product is and um, or service. And, and once people are aware of us, of course they're going to buy because it's so amazing. Right. But the um, reality is for all the people that go to Starbucks, you know, just as many people, you know, go to Dunkin' Donuts or someplace else, right. Blue bottle or someplace. And, and so that, realization that there are some people who just want to be somewhere else sit at someone else's table is um revelatory and it's also difficult to do (laughs) but uh it's humbling so we just go after the zealots our zealots and try to understand what's sticky about us what keeps them there what attracted them in the first place so i i have to say this because you you said starbucks so i would categorize myself as a non-believer of Starbucks um, because I would much rather go towards a small mom and pop coffee shop 
Uh, that's just how I roll. But sometimes when I don't have a choice to go to Starbucks, like if, if I'm at an airport or something, yeah. I go there and then they, so I go there and I go for my tea and then they say, oh, do you want a grande? And I say, no, I want a small. And they say, oh, grande. And I say, no, small. <laughs> So, so not only am I a non-believer, but I am not using their sacred words, right? I'm just like, no, I'm not having that. I'm having a small. So, um, so it's interesting again how these seven pieces of code are totally interconnected. Because I think you had mentioned in your book that once somebody starts to talk about the sacred word or the lexicon, they actually are becoming part of that community that they belong to. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, the example I always give is that when you remember the last time you started a new job, um, even if you were, um, your prior job was in the same category or industry, you, uh, so you knew all, understood all the terms of art, every company has their own little tweak on those terms. But more than that, you are trying to integrate and immerse yourself in, into your new community, right? You want to be liked and you want to feel like you belong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to be happy to go to work every day, right? And so there are all these you know, jokes and anecdotes that everyone else knows and all these other things that go on, uh, you know, inside of a work situation. And you try to learn them, you know, and hopefully there's someone there that's that's your guide, that's your person, that it will help explain things to you if you, and that's so critical to, um, in terms of welcoming someone into your new community. Uh, it's difficult sometimes for us who are already who already belong inside that community to understand what it was like, you know, that first time, and the um, and to put the th- things in place that make that a frictionless as as much as possible experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't drop them in, uh, drop ship them in at the, to their desk or or wherever they're going, um, and, and let them you know, figure it out for themselves all the time. It's not the happiest experience. So let's switch gears and look a little bit at this year, 2020 and the pandemic, because we were were all isolated. I'm literally in quarantine right now for two weeks in in Canada. um, That forces us to think and to feel and to be more introspective we start to think about what do I care about and what is more meaningful to me? What are my values? I think there is a big change coming. I think that people are, um, are determining for themselves what's essential and not essential in their lives. I mean, right after, I mean, after the plague, black plague in uh, the middle ages came the Renaissance, you know, and I think that people are, um, that and the new, um, the rise of, you know, Gen Z and millennials coming of age and so forth and having a more responsible uh, take on the world. Um, I think that there is going to be a a real flip. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking politics, we're talking climate change, we're talking the pandemic. What have I left out? I love the comparison you make to what happened after the Black Plague was the Renaissance. And maybe well, that's just, anyway. yes, well, I'm always optimist, so I, I will latch on to that. <laughs> yeah, me too. 
Do you feel that because, for example, of, of the pandemic, that brands um, should be more vocal when there's a crisis going on, that they should have like a different type of campaign or different types of actions? Well, campaigns don't help, you know, I mean, they may help, but the, but the, uh, I think that we are falling back on corporations, uh, forgetting about brands for a second. We're just falling back on, on corporations uh, to help uh, support social and civic endeavors to make things right. I think that we have, at least in the United States, we have uh, the government with its bureaucracies and it's uh, trying to please everyone at the same time, um, fundamentally cannot affect change, the change that is needed. And not quickly enough either. Yeah, they can't move with any speed at all. And so it, we are relying more and more, more and more on corporations uh, like Time Warner had a $100 million effort to help promote STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math in schools. And, you know, phenomenal. Pearson uh, is trying to um, erase illiteracy around the world. And so it, it's programs like that, I think, that are really gonna, going to help make a difference. And uh, they are funding... Um, you know, entrepreneurs who are coming up with different solutions. And so hopefully that will um, affect progress. So you wrote an article recently uh, on the rebranding of America. Very provocative. So um, can you tell us why do we need a rebrand and what are certain elements or how do you envision beginning this process? Yeah, well, it's first you have to um, agree that America, the United States of America is a brand, which I think it is. It's a, um, uh, a community of people who believe in e pluribus unum <laughs> and really um, freedom of choice more than anything. I think that the, um, the thing we have to do moving forward is understand what our commonalities are as a country. And one of the commonalities is that we are all immigrants, you know, doesn't matter if we stepped across the, uh, um, you know, the Alaskan peninsula, you know, many thousand, 10,000 years ago, or came over in a ship full of immigrants. But one of the points I do make in the article is that, you know, some of our biggest corporations today, uh, Google, Apple, uh, Amazon, uh, Dropbox, uh, and I'm sure many, many, many more were all, f uh, founded by the children of Im immigrants. Hmm. So boom, you know, where would we be with, without those companies? And so the, um, that's critical that we give new, new blood, fresh thinking, and uh, anyone who's been in San Francisco over the last five years knows that the um, influx of so many smart, talented people concentrated in, you know, within a couple zip codes um, has literally changed the world. Mm -hmm. And so the um, just a very exciting place to be, buzzy.
I live in New York and sometimes I say to myself, you know, why, why do I love this place so much? And then yeah. when you start breaking it down, it's because it's such a cross pollination of so many different people. And because of that, you just have so many more interesting conversations. You meet different people, you have different ideas and it's just such a stimulating place to, to be. Yeah. It's very buzzy and it's very energized and uh, charged up. <laughs> and I think that the, um, and I mean, there's no place like it. Right. And so the, uh, we, some of us li live on that. <laughs> yeah. There are many other people though. I have to point out that don't and are afraid of that. Some people just don't like to change. Um, yeah. That's why the principle of commonality is so important. And well, they feel safe, safer by not changing. Right. But, but what I mean is we, we still need to find some level of commonality between people who want to change and don't want to change. Either it's about um, just basic human decency, you know, just going down to the foundational elements of what we all believe in. We need to find that, that common ground and then have tolerance for each other after that. Well, not be fearful of it. Yeah. for those who do embrace it. And I think just, yeah, kindness. Where do you see 2021 heading? Uh, well, I think, unfortunately, we're going to, the pandemic is going to continue on. But I think that um, people are going to uh, have to recommit themselves in uh, new ways. And then beyond that, I think there's going to be a great falling out of some companies. I think that the when we walked into a mall, for example, there would be, I mean, I'm in Minneapolis, uh, a, a mile away from the Mall of America, and there's a whole section of the Mall of America of, of stores that don't really need to exist. And the um, and so there, I think that um, we live in a, in a world of plenitude, at least in the Western world, in a world of plenitude. And a lot of the stuff um, is, you know, copycat, copycat stuff. So I think we're going to uh, hunker down on things that really matter. And mm -hmm. we're going to decide as consumers what's essential and what's not essential. Is there any recommendation that you would give to corporations or brands as we embark in 2021 to connect more meaningfully with their customer base? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that um, they have to figure out what matters. What is it about themselves that really matters and is meaningful to people and double down on that? I think that they have to figure out what are they not, never want to become. And I think with the, the greatest sin is marketing by rote. Uh, people are trying to apply things that used to work, you know, that worked 20 years ago, um, things they learned in, in college or in MBA courses that no longer really apply. Uh, the world has definitely flipped. And the question is, have you flipped with it? There's definitely a time for rethinking right now and to come up with some new media, new tactics, um, new strategies. And um, the Internet's not going away, right? And, um, and the splinter channels is not going away. So we have to create content. And ideally, what you want to do is determine who the zealots, your zealots are, and to make sure that they have 
Um, our role as a company these days is to be able to communicate uh, the facts so that our zealots can tell people the facts. And so when trolls and haters come along, our zealots will defend us. And they have the, we have provided them with the information in order to tell our story. That's the role of companies today. I'll give the zealots permission and the tools to tell our story because people no longer believe what corporations have to say. You know, 80, 90%, you know, depending on the study you read, uh, think it's a, whatever we have to say is a lie, but they do believe what our community says. They believe what their peers have to say, you know, about us. We don't, they don't care about we, what we have to say about ourselves, but they care about what peers have to say about us. And so the, whether it's in terms of reviews or testimonials or, you know, word of mouth. And so our role as corporations or as brands is to really um, feed our people, our advocates with the information, the, the right information, feed them our story so that they can tell it. So when we talk about zealots, it could be an influencer. It's our fans, it's our advocates, it's our, you know, our audiences, our, uh, you know, a lot of synonyms, you know, for zeal uh, zealots, followers, people who like us. <laughs> Basically, it's the people who you like us, buy us, you know, mm -hmm. and prefer us above all okay. other options. So it sort of goes back to um, word of mouth or digital word of mouth. Type it, type. it absolutely goes back to word of mouth. And, and in the, you know, in the traditional way, back in advertising, we used to say that, you know, word of mouth is the best form of advertising. But it was... Um, kind of a belligerent thing to say because we knew at that time that we could not measure the around the, the water cooler conversations. There was no way to capture that and get metrics, put metrics against it. But of course today, uh, because of all the online chatter, we can scrape the web and figure out sentiment analysis and all that, you know, in a heartbeat mm -hmm. comparatively. And so because we can measure it, word of mouth is, is the best form of advertising. As we conclude uh, the show, I always ask this one last question to all of my guests. Since this is the Clarity Connects podcast, I would like to ask you, what is a clarity moment that you've had in the past year or so? And this can be more of a professional nature or personal nature. It could be related to what we talked about or not. Just anything that you would like to share. Oh, there have been so many of them. And um, yeah, you prepped me on this question. You know, when we talk to corporations and we talk to brands, uh, we're uh, always, or, and even, you know, celebrities, people, we're always looking for that thing that they are interested in, whether it's helping refugees or, you know, helping literacy, helping to do good, because everyone wants to, to do good. And so the... So we tie into those things. But my moment of clarity was talking to uh, millennials and Gen Zs about how saying, you know, the, no, we just want to blow it up. And uh, those big corporations who obviously are not very sustainable, you know, I'm not naming names, but large multinational, you know, uh, consumer packaged goods companies are going to become more and more and more irrelevant. They're being nibbled to death by ducks already. And the, um, 
those companies that actually uh, come up organically have risen organically because of the in part because of the good they're not only the good that they're doing but because they have uh, better products and services uh, more sustainably sourced um, uh, from ground zero on and uh, all these other attributes that check the boxes for the younger generations those are the ones that are going to be be moving forward more and more and the larger corporations you know they can buy up as many as they want but uh, that's not quite sustainable mm-hmm. either well you know that's music to my ears because as you know I love I always love the conversation of of how can you do good while being profitable? And I totally agree with you. You know, me teaching at, at NYU, I'm I'm with these students, the Gen Z population that is going into the world. And um, they're really not just looking for companies for the sake of companies, but they really want to make sure that the companies they're going towards have a good value system that they that resonates with them. And so it's um, it's very inspiring to see that. And, 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 you know, it's like what we were talking about. Everything is coming together from different angles in terms of this good renaissance area that we're hopefully heading towards. And I think also there are a lot of companies that um, are not looking to scale and sell out sell themselves, sell off or get an IPO or whatever. And the, um, the, we might be moving and they have great products. A lot of them, they're more expensive sometimes, but they last longer and they fulfill that emotional um, doing good piece that we want. And so much more likely to buy that and let it last five years rather than, you know, fast fashion or something where you wear it once or maybe twice, maybe three times if, <laughs> if you still can, right? But the, uh, and then it's in the closet, right? So I wonder if we're going back in some ways to the, uh, to that shop where there's the shop downstairs and the family's living upstairs kind of mentality. And because you see this happening all over the place. So maybe that's in the crystal ball. And the return of Main Street, you know, instead of the shopping mall. And the department story certainly outlasted its function. Malls seem to have outlasted their function. So maybe there is a flip coming. Thank you so much, Patrick, for this conversation and for bringing your humanity through your work. And I feel so honored to, to know you and that we've known each other since the past four years. And I keep learning from you. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Tisaf. It's been a privilege, as I said earlier, and a good way to start the week. Good. And thank you to all our listeners as well for joining us. À bientôt.